You know what will keep you warm in the great white north? A little true crime with your host, Megs and Jess. bring you on stage here for just a minute okay how old are you six. Oh, bummer <laughs> you gotta be seven to do this trick yeah seven seven how old are you seven <laughs> hello welcome to the first ever episode of true crimes in the great white north i'm your host megs and my fabulous partner in crime is jess <laughs> did that sound really sultry <laughs> it did. It was very nice. <laughs> That's not at all this, what I sound like. <laughs> this podcast is turning out to be very different than planned. <laughs> Today, I want to tell you about how an innocent six-year-old girl playing in her own backyard led to an abduction that shook an entire city in Canada. This is the murder story of Corinne Punky Gustafson. Listener discretion is advised, as this episode contains sensitive topics and is not recommended for young audiences. While we are not detectives nor journalists, we would like to thank those who followed this case and researched the facts. With your information, we can readily share this story with our audience. All victims deserve a voice. Let us begin. This story takes place in the capital city of Alberta, called Edmonton. Since Jess and I are both from Edmonton, I figured what better way to start our new podcast than by talking about a terrible crime that shocked our entire city in 1992. But before we dive into the first episode, I wanted to tell you about our little city in Canada called Edmonton. Edmonton is a city full of quite surprising fun facts. The city of almost a million people is located in western Canada, and for our American friends, it's just north of Montana. Edmonton has the most insane hockey fans. I'm sure you've heard of our famous hockey hero known as the Great One, Wayne Gretzky. There's even a bridge named after him. We are home to the biggest mall globally. Yes, it really is bigger than the Mall of America. Sorry, Americans. And least but not last, Edmonton is a place where you can turn boiling water into ice in a matter of seconds during the winter. Yes, folks, it is seriously that cold. While Edmonton has a reputation for winning and sadly losing Stanley Cups and our giant mall complete with a water park, what you probably don't know is that it's also famous for some pretty intense and brutal crimes. So, without further ado, Here's to our first episode, The Tragic Murder of Corinne Punky Gustafson. This episode's opening clip is a video made two months before Punky's murder, at what used to be called Klondike Days, which is Edmonton's yearly fair. In the homemade video, Punky is in front of a magician. He's joking with her about her age, and it's obvious from the video with her sweet smile and innocence that she was a very happy little girl. I was 12 years old when this case came to light. The thing I remember the most were seeing all of the giant billboards scattered throughout Edmonton. There were no cell phones or social media back then, so besides the news on TV and newspapers, billboards were used for getting the word out on severe cases such as this one. 
Before I talk about Little Punky, I have to mention a disturbing case that happened to a little girl named Mandy Tremblay. On May 26, 1992, at around 6 p.m., a little three-year-old girl named Mandy remembered she'd left her shoes at the park almost directly across from the apartment she lived in with her mom and aunt. Mandy walked over to the park to retrieve her forgotten shoes. While she was at the park, she was kidnapped by an unidentified man. Mandy's mother came to look for her daughter shortly after. Despite the park having several people, no one saw who took her and was unable to give a description. The mother called the Edmonton police, who immediately began a search. 19 hours later, and only 9 kilometers from the park, horseback riders discovered the half-naked body of little Mandy in a field. She was wearing only a top. Nothing covered her legs or feet. They discovered she had been sexually assaulted. She was also severely injured due to being thrown from a vehicle without stopping. Miraculously, three-year-old Mandy survived the assault, but could not give the police a description because of her young age. The only clues found with the case were her torn bottoms and her right shoe five miles away. Police suspected perhaps the assailant kept her other shoe as a keepsake. After months of searching, police came up empty-handed. That is, until four months later and only four miles from Mandy's abduction, the disappearance of Corinne Punky Gustafson happened. Corinne Punky Gustafson was born on Thursday, January 2nd, 1986, to parents Karen and Raymond. Her younger sister, Roseanne, was born soon after. The nickname Punky was given to Corinne for her spiky blonde hair, despite the show Punky Brewster we all know and love. Like most adorable six-year-olds, Corinne was fun and energetic. On the morning of Sunday, September 6, 1992, six-year-old Punky and her five-year-old friend, Lindsay Knott, were playing hide-and-seek in the front yard of their apartment complex. They lived in an area in Edmonton called Rundle Park, which for us Edmontonians is North Edmonton. The apartment where Punky, her sister, and her parents lived was a townhouse. From the images of the townhouse, it seems people had a little space that was their own, but the yard itself actually expanded through several units. Punky's house was the second unit from the corner. Her house and where the kids were playing was obvious from the street. Punky, Lindsay, and another child were playing in an area close to the outside fence. In broad daylight, a man parked his blue van close to the fence where Punky and her friends were playing. The man walked towards the fence, grabbing Punky, and ran off back to his van. So, you're probably wondering where Punky's parents are, or Lindsay's for that matter. Punky's dad, Ray, was actually watching the kids when he stepped inside for all of five minutes. If Punky was that close to the outside fence, five minutes is really all it would take for someone to grab her. Ray came back outside moments later and Lindsay told him a man took Punky. He rushed down the street looking for his young daughter. When nothing happened, he called the RCMP. For our non-Canadian listeners, the RCMP stands for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. They have been known to wear red jackets, top hats, and fancy knee-high boots. However, 
most are dressed like your everyday police officer. The RCMP are the Federal and National Police Service of Canada, providing law enforcement at a federal level. So, in essence, they're kind of a big deal in Canada. After hearing Ray tell them his daughter went missing, the police assumed she could have possibly ran away. When I first read that, I figured it must be some crazy mistake. But no, the RCMP did in fact think Punky ran away, which ultimately does not make any sense seeing as her friend informed them that she was taken by a man. Investigators and police questioned little Lindsay. Again, she tells them a man took Punky. They ask her to describe him. She said he was native. Back then, she said native since I don't believe she knew the proper term in saying indigenous. Nevertheless, that is how she described him. Again, she's only five years old. As soon as the abduction information came about, the police dove into action, listing Punky's case as a kidnapping. As most of you are aware, when a child goes missing, the first 48 hours is pertinent into finding them before something horrible happens. Poor Punky's mother, Karen, arrived home from work to discover her sweet little girl had been abducted. I can only imagine the terror that went through her at that time. Like any frantic, caring mother, Karen went into full force, begging police to find her daughter. A massive search party began in the hunt to find little Punky. Sadly, with all efforts from hundreds of volunteers to find little Punky, two days later, on September 8, 1992, a trucking company's owner would discover her body while he was walking the grounds. The trucking owner thought at first the object under the truck was a rag doll until he got closer. Punky's frail body was lying face down wearing all of her clothes except her shoes. Police discovered tire marks around her body and the area. The suspect drove a mid-sized North American front-wheel drive vehicle with Goodyear Invicta GLs on the back with approximately 20% wear and bald tires on the front they also discovered a footprint. The unique thing about the footprint was that it was actually a baseball cleat. It's not a common thing to wear baseball cleats outside of playing on, in the field. The cleats were also quite small. They said between size five and a half to seven men's shoe. Police knew from the cleat print it was a patented trade design, which was actually manufactured in Canada. Investigators were able to determine that Punky was killed in a different location and then dumped in the truck yard, much the same incident as with Mandy. An autopsy revealed Punky had been sexually assaulted and smothered to death. The medical examiner stated that Punky's clothing appeared to have been put on quickly. Both legs were through the same hole of her underwear, her pants were on backwards, and her arms were not put through the jacket armholes. It would appear obvious the person who killed her was rushed to get her dressed. It's always horrible when a child is murdered, but in this case, what's so disturbing is that she was brutally raped. While it was determined Punky died from being smothered, her injuries to her genitals were so severe that she could have bled out enough to cause her death without immediate treatment. They found one pubic hair on her clothing and other possible DNA evidence, but... Again, in 1992, DNA evidence wasn't as advanced as it is now, almost 30 years later. So, 
With no immediate leads, the police and the city of Edmonton placed billboards all over the city. Again, in 1992, this was a massive deal. No social media, no cell phones, no internet. If you think about it, the first missing child's face on a mail card was in 1979. That's only 13 years previous to this crime. It's really not that long ago when you think about it. Edmonton launched the most extensive media campaign ever at that time. While the billboards were being plastered everywhere, the most extraordinary thing, in my opinion, because I was obsessed with the show, is that Unsolved Mysteries aired a small clip featuring the unsolved cases of both Mandy and Punky asking viewers for any information. The abducted girl was six-year-old Corinne Gustafson, who was nicknamed Punky. The police immediately set up a command post and aided by dozens of volunteers launched a widespread search. Punky's parents, Karen and Raymond, could do little more than sit at home and wait. For those of you unaware of the famous and unique Robert Stack, he was the gifted host of the American show Unsolved Mysteries for years. Some might say he was the Morgan Freeman of TV. His voice was beyond soothing and also slightly creepy, which made every episode memorable. For our little city in Edmonton to be featured on that show for these two little girls was pretty amazing. The RCMP also hired a profiler to give the public a possible image of who this person who raped and killed Punky could be. The hired profiler described what the assailant could be like. He described the kidnapper as someone in their late teens to early 20s. While that could have been possible, I do feel like most teenagers did not have cars at that age, let alone a van. The profiler also stated the suspect would be a loner, wouldn't have had a girlfriend, and is probably fantasy motivated. With no leads in hand, the police decided to look at their relatives. Karen's brother, Ron, became a suspect right from the beginning. While Lindsay stated over and over that the man who took Punky was indigenous, the police had to look at all angles. Ron also never owned a van that Lindsay and the neighboring kid saw. The reason Ron was a prime suspect is that because Punky's body was found under his truck. The fact that a random man drove by Punky's apartment, snatched her, brutally assaulted her, and then left her in a random truck lot where her uncle was a driver definitely alarmed police. But with no physical evidence, Ron's name was cleared. Sadly, even after all of the billboards were placed in and around Edmonton, constant news attention, and the episode of Unsolved Mysteries, no suspects were arrested. What's crazy is that there were more than 5,100 tips lodged and 400 suspects interviewed. The case went unsolved for over a decade. Flash forward over 10 years later, when the detective resubmitted the evidence from Punky's cold case, The DNA evidence was shipped and retested as technology had advanced at this point. A year later, the lab where the DNA was tested called the detective to explain the results of what they found. DNA evidence would lead them to a man already in their system, which is crazy. This discovery was Indigenous man Clifford Slay. 
In March 2003, 11 years after Punky's murder, police arrested Clifford Slay after his DNA matched that found on Punky's little body. According to a report, he was already in prison, serving time for two unrelated sexual assaults. One was his niece and the other his girlfriend's daughter. But another report stated he did in fact get charged for two sexual assaults, but was not currently in prison at the time of his arrest. The crazy thing is Clifford Slay was actually a suspect right from the beginning. But because his friends and his common-law wife gave statements claiming he was with them that entire weekend, Clifford was dropped from the suspect list. What's even more mind-blowing is that Clifford was in Edmonton that September long weekend for a family baseball tournament. He left his hometown of Lodgepole, Alberta, which is about two hours outside of Edmonton to meet relatives to play softball that September long weekend. Investigators discovered he owned baseball cleats identical to the footprints found beside Punky. And again, this was a patented design. Apparently, Clifford always had a peculiar habit of wearing baseball cleats. I mean, little did he know, his odd habit of wearing baseball cleats would put him behind bars for the horrific crime he committed. Here's where Clifford Slay comes into play, completely polar opposite of how the profile described the kidnapper almost 12 years previous. Clifford Slay was now 42 in 2003, so at the time of the kidnap, rape, and murder of Punky, he would have been about 30. He is not by any means a small man. As Lindsay stated, he is native, indigenous for the correct term used nowadays. Clifford Slay was in fact married, well, common law wife, not single, not a loner, nor fantasy motivated. When Punky and her friend Lindsay were playing in the yard, Clifford drove by. He was apparently angry at his common law wife, so he headed out to find someone he knew he could rape. When he was unable to find who it is believed to be his common-law wife's daughter, Clifford spotted Punky, Lindsay, and the neighboring friend. Now, how sad is this? He grabbed Punky, and not Lindsay, because Punky was closest to the fence, essentially the getaway. It's horrible to think Punky simply died because she was playing too close to the fence. And I sort of wonder, too, if... Perhaps it's probably a good thing Lindsay was only five at the time of the abduction because if she were older and really understood the severity of the situation, I feel like she would have the utmost guilt about how she survived and her friend didn't. The trial began for 42-year-old Clifford Slay in Edmonton, Alberta. At the start of the trial, Clifford admitted to abducting and sexually assaulting Punky. His defense lawyer asked the medical examiner whether Punky could have died as a result of a bit of pressure on a nerve on her neck for a short amount of time, that way causing her death. The medical examiner stated it would be unusual. Clifford's defense lawyer also asked whether the bruising to Punky's genitals could have been caused after she died. The examiner said that what he saw did not indicate that, but it was still possible. Clifford stated Punky was alive when he placed her under the truck. 
During the doctor's testimony, some of Punky's family and a juror wept. Punky's uncle, Ron, who was initially a suspect, left the courtroom shaking his head. No one, especially a family member, wants to hear what a grown man did to an innocent six-year-old girl. A judge heard victim impact statements before sentencing Clifford, who broke down and sobbed when he stood up to apologize to Punky's family. I will say, at least he did that. At least he showed some sign of remorse. Some of these murders will sit in the courtroom and smile the entire time and have this smug look on their face and it's just so disgusting. Five members of Punky's family, including her sister, father, and cousin, read victim impact statements in court detailing the effect Punky's death had on all of them. Punky's father told the court he had a nervous breakdown and split from his wife soon after the murder. Punky's mom, Karen, said she was robbed of the chance to watch her daughter grow up, graduate, and get married. Clifford tried to plead guilty to manslaughter, but thankfully the Crown rejected the plea. For those of you unaware of manslaughter, it's the crime of killing a human being without malice or otherwise in the circumstances not amounting to murder. He was found guilty on all three charges after 11 jurors deliberated for about 11 hours. The jurors were never told that Clifford had two previous convictions for sexually assaulting young girls. I'm not sure why that is, maybe because that wouldn't give him a fair trial. He was ultimately charged with first-degree murder, which is premeditated. He was charged with kidnapping and aggravated sexual assault in 2003. Clifford Slay automatically received a life sentence with no chance of parole for 25 years. He was sent to prison on May 27, 2005. He will be up for parole in 2030 which is sort of insane when you think about it because that's only nine years from now. Punky had a $2 bill inside her pink winter jacket pocket when she was found. That $2 bill was kept as evidence. Punky's mom, Karen, who gave Punky the orange-colored bill from her winnings at bingo the night before she was kidnapped. The mother-daughter had planned to go shopping with it on that very fateful day Punky was abducted. Karen kindly asked the court to release that crumpled up bill back to her. The judge granted her request. 13 years later, Karen got her daughter's $2 bill back. It was a bittersweet end to a very emotional sentencing hearing. Sadly, Punky's body was moved from Edmonton, Alberta to a place two and a half hours outside of the city, making it difficult for her mom, Karen, to visit. I couldn't find the exact reason as to why, but it would appear it had something to do with Punky's father, Ray. It's not just with child murders, it's with all murders. We spend so much time on the case and who could have done it that we tend to lose insight as to who the actual person was. Punky was someone's daughter, sister, niece, friend, cousin. While her little life was cut short, she was very much loved before her unfortunate death. For those people who loved her, they look at this case very differently, and even after almost 30 years, her death is probably still so traumatic for them. It's a young life lost too soon in such an unforgettable manner. It's heartbreaking. And I often wonder too, did Clifford think if he had raped or killed a little girl, his common-law wife would love him more? 
It's sort of amazing what goes through these people's heads when they do these crimes. And perhaps he thought because he didn't live in Edmonton, he could have forever gotten away with it. I think the thing that fascinates me is always sort of what goes through these people's minds before they commit these acts. And in so many cases, it actually is not usually a random stranger who commits these heinous crimes, but sadly, it was in Punky's case. And my heart really goes out to Punky's father, as I'm sure he has lived with the guilt of leaving his young daughter to play unsupervised. Also, a big shout out to the detectives that have to do these cases, because it must be heartbreaking to go home and have this in your head, especially if they have children themselves. To be a detective, mm-hmm. like you, to not bring your work home with you. You have to have very thick skin and... yeah. And so, you know, great for the Edmonton police and RCMP. I mean, it took obviously a long time, but, you know, justice was served in the end. And and Punky's family at least gets some tiny bit of closure with their daughter, you know, in that aspect, which is sad. But it's also great because now he can't do that to someone else. Thank you so much again for listening and subscribing to our show if you haven't already please tell your friends about our little show and leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts true crimes in the great white north is a crime series with new episodes every friday for updates or to see photos from this case please follow us on instagram at great white north crimes and or join our facebook page true crimes in the great white north have questions, please email us at truecrimesgwn at gmail.com. Till next time, true crime fans. Thank you for listening. Have a good night. I think she would be, uh, you know, her sister Roseanne is a very much a lady. I think Punky would be the same, a lady, very well-mannered. She'd be an awesome mom, I'm sure, because she was an awesome little girl. And I'm sure she would be a great aunt. She, she just would be, you know, it, it's hard to think that far, but I, my feelings from when she was little, she'd be a great person.